Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So off air, Ben and I were just having like a little, you know, impromptu conversation and we were just talking about what is the show going to be like today. And, you know, as you guys know, I like to do my due diligence. And I was telling him like he is like the phantom of the opera when it comes to trying to find out anything personal about him. So we're going to have to uncover this live on air. So <laughs> put that out there. So you guys know I like to give whoever I'm interviewing a particular nickname. And in this case, the nickname for Ben is going to be the Consumer Package Boss, which it has a, has a certain ring to it once you hear what we're going to talk about. And I think he's more than earned that title 10 times over. So the floor is yours, Ben. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about you and what would you like to talk about today? I like that. Um, I like that title. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, first, I say thanks for having me. I love your podcast. Uh, you produce amazing content. So thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, I guess I can uh, tell you a little bit about uh, the story of, of Scale Media, the company I started with my partner over nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, my co-founder and I have been best friends since middle school back in Israel. Uh, we both immigrated here uh, to Los Angeles about 15 years ago after we served in the Israeli military. Um, and really, we're, you know, starving students, roommates. Uh, we had internship, full-time job, full-time school. It was a very stressful time. And we we kept looking for ways to optimize our wellness, our health, our performance. And uh, my major was food science. So I very quickly learned a lot about nutrition, about how to read clinical studies. And there are a lot of different ingredients and supplements we're experimenting with. And what we learned very early on is that most supplements out there, uh, at least back then, it's also true for today, but um, most of them don't have clinical studies behind those ingredients. And the ones that do have clinical studies don't use the clinically studied dosage that was mentioned in the study. So they just sprinkle, you know, some ingredients, but you don't actually get the impact or the efficacy that's mentioned in the study. So our assumption was uh, very simple. What happens if we start selling a very simple line of supplements with clinically studied ingredients in their clinically studied dosage and be extremely transparent about educating the consumer why this is superior to other supplements. Uh, and we've done well. Uh, we bootstrapped uh, uh, the business. The first year, uh, we made $6 million selling basically three products online. Uh, realized we're onto something here and decided to duplicate the effort. Um, nine years later, today, we have five brands um, well across wellness uh, and, and beauty. And uh, we're close to 200 people strong, and we're going to be closing close to $200 million this year. 
So uh, you just say it so nonchalantly, like, yeah, we got, you know, three figures in employees, you know, we're just crossing over a couple hundred million dollars in assets. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm happy that, that you're nonchalant with it because, I mean, obviously you're more focused, I would say, on the science and the food and, and, and the culture behind what you're building and developing, which shows to your leadership. So I want to talk to, like, your, your values. Your values on your website say is growth collaboration, impact, and innovation. How, how do, why did, like, again, how did you pick these four and why are these four so important to you? I mean, that, that's, that's a wonderful question. Look, we're, my, my co-founder and I, um, we're self-taught individuals, right? We went to school, we're college dropouts. Uh, we're the type of people that, you know, it's hard for us to sit and, and, and listen to a lecture and do homework. We're more like, let us read the book and let us take, take the test, mm -hmm. uh, and we learn from experience. So really, uh, we, we started several businesses before we started Scale, and we learn a ton from doing that. I think the, 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 uh, the most significant one was a beanbag company. So we had a, a beanbag company called Hugs Beanbags, uh, and we invested a ton in the product. We just try to make the best product out there. And, you know, on the way, we learned how to do low-budget guerrilla marketing, web design, SEO, SEM, supply chain management. And, and eventually, we learned a very hard lesson of, of optimizing unit economics, meaning, mm. you know, you, you put everything in a product, and it's so expensive to make, and it's so expensive to ship, that at the end of the day, you just don't make money, mm. um, right? Because you also have to market it, um, et cetera. So, um, I guess through this hard work, experiencing how to run businesses, we came up with these four values that are extremely, extremely important to us, and we just live it. So I, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like you said, you, you guys went into multiple different other businesses. Again, earlier on, you said that you went to school for essentially food science. And if I'm not... if I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think on your LinkedIn page is a subline that says when you're not in the office, you're either in a restaurant or a kitchen obsessed yeah. with everything food and nutrition. That's so true. why why didn't you go into like the restaurant business or creating food products per se? Like, again, that seems to be your core passion. Why didn't you swing that route? Look, I, I'm really about leveraging technology mm -hmm. to help scale up these efforts to to the masses. Right. So. Putting me in a kitchen would be, um, I, I, I was afraid, you know, when I was younger, I was extremely passionate about food. I was cooking a lot. I was reading recipe books, et cetera. I was reading biographies of different chefs. Uh, but it felt like if I would become a chef to be in the kitchen, I would start hating that. And that's not something I, I wanted for myself. And really, I was very attracted to science. I mean, in high school, I took AB biology, AP biology and chemistry. And so the connection between science, food, and then technology, right, e-commerce, um, was really exciting for me and my partner. And that, that's really the path we chose. Hmm. I think it's interesting because, I mean, obviously, the products that you guys sell right now fall under beauty, health, and wellness, which could all be affected by food, essentially. So I, I think, like, you're still in food. But you're like in yes. the byproducts of what happens knowing what people are putting in their body or putting on their body. So I want you to, to talk about that for a second. Like, yeah. obviously, food was at the starting point. 
but how did you then decide to dive into creating mass products for beauty, health, and wellness? Yeah, so it really started from that origin story I told you where we just started experimenting ourselves with these wonderful ingredients. And once you start diving into the, the clinical studies, you, you understand, you know, there, there's a difference between going to a CVS or Rite Aid and buying a supplement and, and between, you know, uh, buying a quality clinically studied ingredient that have a ton of science behind it, right? I mean, I'll just give you an example. We sell uh, the best curcumin turmeric product in the world. It was developed by scientists in UCLA who basically realized that curcumin cannot cross the blood-brain barrier, right? So what they did is they wrapped it, the molecules with lipids, with fat. And so now it can cross the blood-brain barrier and it's 285 times more bioavailable than regular curcumin, right? And really was developed for to help actually with cognitive function, with memory, et cetera, with inflammation of the brain. But it, it has amazing results for total body inflammation and, and other benefits that turmeric and curcumin has. So this is just a little taste of the, the wonders of, of the science behind some of these ingredients. And for us, it was very important to educate the consumers because, look, most Americans, I mean, uh, most people really don't have the right nutrition and they don't really know how to have the right nutrition. So we want to come in and help supplement their nutrition with these incredible ingredients. And I think you guys are doing a phenomenal job because on one side of the coin, like you're, you're a scientist, but on the other side of the coin, you're like a digital marketer. And when you bring those two together, it's all about the analytical data. Proof is in the pudding. And I think that's why you guys kind of work with a lot of scientists hands-on. So I want to talk about like, like the scale of where your business is. And I want to put this in the scope for the listeners so they can comprehend the numbers that we're going to put out there. Like sure. most people are okay with a hundred customers, right? Maybe <laughs> 50 customers. Okay. On, on a larger scale, maybe I have a thousand consumers. Y'all are at 5 million consumers. Like yeah. I, I want, I want to talk about like, like how did you go from where you were, which essentially was zero to 5 million. How long did it take to get there? So look, the name of the company is Scale Media. We're all about scaling, right? And we're leveraging technology to do that. So I'd say a big part of the size that we're at mm. was about understanding how to leverage digital marketing, uh, digital advertising, content creation, um, and finally technology e-commerce, right? So, you know, about nine years ago when we started, we were using a ton of different SaaSes that was kind of a challenge to integrate all these SaaSes to one another. And it became kind of like a full-time job to reconcile between the different uh, data sources, right? So in order for us to be able to spend advertising dollars and generate revenue, we have to be extremely, extremely precise with how we track customer journeys, with how we track data and how we report on it, right? So back then we were using all these SaaSes. Every week you have a different SaaS that like broke or didn't work or right, or the servers were down. And the lack of control was really bothering us. And it became a full-time job just to figure mm -hmm. out, right? Because each one of these SaaSes record and reports on data differently. Mm -hmm. So reconciling this whole thing and really getting an actual accurate picture of what's going on out there, where your advertising dollars are going to. What is your consumer clicking on um, was a challenge. 
So we, we, we got some very, um, we connected with some very talented uh, engineers uh, from Silicon Valley. And uh, we put together what, what we now call scale commerce, which is our e-commerce and marketing automation uh, technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was basically our, our booster uh, rocket, right? That got us to space, that got us uh, to, to where we're at today. Right now, we're kind of sunsetting some of the technology because really Shopify and other solutions out there really caught up and are you know doing a lot better than us. And the nature of technology every five to six to seven years, you know, it becomes legacy technology and you have to pay that technical debt. Mm-hmm. And so at, at this part, at this stage of our company, it's just not worth it for us to continue paying that debt because there's such amazing third-party solutions. But the fact remains, scale commerce, what we uh, uh, kind of put together back then, uh, I think we launched it in 2016 and we doubled our revenue every year uh, after that, um, was, a, was a great competitive advantage mm-hmm. and really allowed us to see uh, a, a, an accurate picture of where our advertising dollars are going to. Hmm. And, and I, don't, I don't want the listeners to understand, like, I mean, like you guys have probably sold roughly right, right around $500 million worth of sales of product, right? And this didn't, didn't happen overnight. To your point, you're leveraging the data and you're understanding the data. You made the commerce platform. So I want to talk about, since you're talking about scale, the diversification of that. So you also have another platform called Scale Digital. So I, I, with that, I'm thinking that you saw an opportunity to apply some services to what you were doing on the commerce side. So I want to talk about that journey. Like, when did the digital aspect of your scaling business come into play? So really, Scale Digital is kind of like the agency, the in-house agency that we have, the in-house creative agency. And, and really, the, the unofficial motto is always be optimizing, right? Mm. So we the way we created both our technology and our kind of digital in-house agency is really about rapid iterations, rapid testing, analyzing the data and you know coming brainstorming with new creative ideas and testing them every day. So every day we have dozens or hundreds of tests going on on on, on uh, many many levels, right? So on the media buying level, on the ad level, on the campaign level, on the landing pages, on our checkout pages, on our product pages, on the post purchase messaging to the customer. Uh, we even do A/B testing with you know physical inserts that we put inside our packaging, right? So we do cohort testing, and we follow these cohorts over time, and we see which cohort generates more lifetime value. So, really, um, really the idea behind uh, Scale Digital is how we can build an in-house agency that can service all of our brands, create content, and continuously test. Uh, while building a brand, right? You also have to build a brand. You also have to find a way to connect with a consumer. Uh, and, and this is really our, our journey right now. We're really transforming from uh, product marketing, which was our forte in our first years, uh, to brand response or to brand marketing, right? Because we were very good at you know finding these solutions to these problems, right? Inflammation, digestive issues, joint issues, and then we market it that way, right? Oh, you have this problem. Here's the best solution. What happens is, you know, people buy conversion rates are great, AOVs, average order values are great, 
We were able to bootstrap this business to 200 million. So we didn't need any funding. We we're doing well. We we're profitable since day three. However, when we started diving into more branding campaigns, uh, we realized that lifetime values increases by, by a ton because consumers are not coming to your brand to just buy this one product that can help them solve this one problem they have. They buy into the ethos of the brand. They buy into, you know, oh, this is a brand I can trust. They make quality products. They're science-backed. They have doctors that help them formulate these products. I'm all in. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then it's way easier to do cross sales and introduce them to other products within the brand. Uh, so this is our journey right now. Yeah, I think that's that's a phenomenal answer. And, and just kind of like just 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 pull that apart, right? I want to kind of unskin that onion a little bit. So mm-hmm. essentially, we're talking about five million customers over the cost of you know however long you guys been in business with five hundred million sales. So the average customer is is purchasing about a hundred dollars, right? And that's that's on average. That's not including new customers versus old customers over a time frame. So ideally, where do you see that lifetime value of that hundred dollars? Is you gonna try to get it to like $150, $200? Like where are you guys projecting that to go? Yeah, I mean don't quote me on the numbers, but yeah. Really, our, our average order value right now, depending on the brand, it would be around $100, right? Some brands would be, our more premium brands would be around $130. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our less premium brands or uh, would be around you know, $80. So it would average around $100. But think about it as a, a leaking bathtub, right? Mm-hmm. You, have, you, you keep feeding it with more consumers, but it's leaking from the bottom because a lot of people just buy once and they never come back, right? So the goal is really to reduce that number of people that just buy once by introducing them to the brand and having them buy into the the ethos of the brand. Mm -hmm. Uh, Continue feeding new consumers, but making sure these consumers are qualified enough to become these, right, these brand advocates and be part of the brand. And at the same time, focus on the hardcore whales, right? The people that just love the brand and we keep feeding them with more and more value, right? And value comes in content, value comes in um, incredible customer service and value comes in amazing products that we keep introducing to the line. So, I mean, with that, I mean, obviously you guys sell supplements and you also have another secondary brand called um, One MD, right? So... Where and and again, I, I was looking for it, but I didn't see it. So I'm going to ask you. I would think that you guys are at this phase if you haven't touched it yet, going into subscriptions. So where does that fall into the equation? So I, I guess maybe if you don't mind the way, I'll, I'll answer that question uh, a little differently. So there's there's been a few inflection points to our business. Subscription would be one of them. So I mentioned the technology piece, right? In 2016, we launched Scale Commerce. That was huge for us. And then we started doubling our revenue every year after that for the next several years. That was a big inflection point for us. In 2019, we realized the power of Amazon. We were kind of running tests in 2018. Uh uh, And then we kind of honed in on our methodology. And then we just launched all of our products, all our five brands around Back then, it was maybe around 75, 80 products. Right now, we have around 120 products total. On, we launched it on Amazon, and we doubled that year from uh, 52 million to 111 million. Mm. 
So that was a huge inflection point for us to, to date. I mean, 40% of our revenue comes from Amazon. The rest is, you know, the rest is the 60% comes from our own website, direct to consumer. And then the last inflection point happened in, in 2021 uh, when we fully launched our subscription program. So we were kind of, uh, you know, testing and optimizing uh, in 2020. And then 2021, when we honed in, we just launched it and scaled it up. And that was huge for a profitability and lifetime value. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a subscriber is worth twice as much as a non-subscriber. Uh, and we're hoping to keep increasing that number as we engage with more brand marketing, with post-purchase marketing, et cetera. I hope that answers your question. I mean, you, you, I mean, this conversation is so, like, it's sexy to me. Because, I mean, obviously, like, I'm a brand specialist and I understand what you're talking about. So it's like hearing, like, what you've done and where you are. And it kind of goes back to, I think, a statement that I read, I think, with either an article or one of your pages, something about you guys have a deep understanding for digital direct-to-consumer. And it kind of reminds me, like, we went back into, like, the the, the late 90s when um, digital consumers were, like, something new that people was trying to comprehend what is that. Is that, do I have a catalog? Do I have a magazine? And then, you know, there was a dawn of Amazon. But you guys are at that sweet spot. And then you brought up Amazon as well. So, and you said Amazon's 40% of your revenue right now? Yeah. So, with, with that, let's just talk about that. So, I mean, Amazon is a big provider. And Walmart is stepping into Amazon's territory a little bit as far as pharmaceutical, far as distribution. Have you guys looked into that market sector? Oh, we're all over it. I mean, we're in every marketplace that we could be. We're definitely selling on Walmart.com. Um, there's been retailers that are reaching out to us because they're seeing how popular we are online. But retail is it is a whole different strategy, and we have advisors and we're working on 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 a rollout of of retail. But yeah, we are in all the digital marketplaces. Mm-hmm. iHerb, we're selling a little bit of on iHerb as well. But Amazon is just a force to be reckoned with. And, and I think a lot of DTC companies early on made the mistake of treating Amazon as a foe or something to, to, to kind of you know, fight against. And, oh, we're not going to be on Amazon. We're going to fight our resellers on Amazon. Um, but the way we treated Amazon is just another touch point. At the end of the day, you have to meet consumers where they're at. And the fact is, 50 to 60% of consumers start their buying journey on Amazon. That's just a fact. So you have to, you have to, to make Amazon part of the customer journey. And that's what we did. Because we knew there's going to be people that no matter what, even if they you know, click an ad and buy into the brand and, and go to our website and read the content and get the emails, they would prefer to get it from Amazon because they love the two-day shipping. They love the return policy. They have all the information there. Um, so we're, 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 our mission is to meet consumers where they're at, uh, least, least resistance. So, I mean, let's just roll into that. And again, one, first of all, I want to congratulate you on, you know, I think recently you guys got nominated for the fourth time in four years of being the best startup employers on Forbes. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Thank you. So, I mean, with that, what does that do for like, you know, employee morale, knowing that they work for a company that's so prestigious and it kind of, as a founder, I I would think at night you go to sleep with a smile, I would think at least because you know (laughs) that your employees are not going to wake up the next morning and quit or leave. So I want you to kind of talk about like, what did you do to kind of get such a robust company so fast, but have so much employee retention? Look, we learn a lot from our mistakes in the first 
um, two years. Um, Steve and I always joke that our MBA was the first two or three years of this business because we just learned so much about leadership, management, how to hire, how to retain employees, how to motivate employees, et cetera. I mean, the first two years, we were just living and breathing this business. And we were working like 16, 18-hour days. We're pushing our employees to work as hard as we do. And it was just unsustainable because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the thought behind working this hard when you run a business is, this is my baby. I have to put everything I got into it. And, and this is my time, right? This is my, I don't have, I don't have kids yet. I, I have the, I have the time to invest uh, um, in this company. And really what happens is there's, there's diminishing returns at some point, right? Like productivity does not increase. Actually, what happens is you burn out mm. and the next day you just, you don't perform as well as, as, as you, you, you should. So, you know, at some point, uh, my partner and I realized this is just not sustainable. Um, and so we now have very defined boundaries when it comes to work-life balance. We try not to work nights. We try not to work weekends. And it's very, very important to us that our employees do the same, right? We, we work hard and we work smart during work hours. But the rest of the time, I mean, you just have to, to spend some time with your family. You have to, uh, you know, decompress and get ready for the next day. So let's just take this. I'm going to take you on a journey, a time traveling journey, right? I mean, the yeah. key word that you said was family. I want, we want to know, I want to know like, what were you like as, as a kid growing up? And it sounds like maybe you grew up in Israel. So I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. What kind of household did you grow up into? What was the influential factor to kind of help you become who you are today? Well, um, you know, I, I didn't come from an entrepreneurial background. Um, my dad did sales for, uh, you know, European or, uh, American telecommunication companies. So he, he would travel a lot. Um, my mom, uh, did some logistics for, for different companies in Israel. Um, but really, uh, you know, Steve and I, since middle school, we're just extremely curious about things. We love to figure things out. We love to, to read, watch documentaries, experiment. Um, and I think that's, you know, that these are some of the things that kind of stayed with us. So when we, when we moved to America, I mean, the, the U.S. Is, is the land of opportunity, right? And and especially Los Angeles is, is a very materialistic place, right? So when you're when you're in Los Angeles and you're um, you know you're a starving student and you see all this wealth around you, it really makes you hungry, mm. right? And so that really put Ziv and I into gear, and we we were just shooting our shot, and we're just shooting all these arrows and hoping that one of them would stick, and it only takes once, right? Mm. Here we are. I hope that that's not disappointing that I didn't have like an amazing childhood story, but <laughs> this is really, this is really what happened. No, I mean, it's phenomenal. Like, I, I always say that, you know, there may be a version of you in someone's house right now that's six years old. So, you know, just giving a little bit of insight to what you were like growing up or the environment you grew in, that that parent that may be listening, maybe have an opportunity to put their kid in that right environment to help them to grow up to follow in your footsteps. You know what? That That's, I mean, that's, that's amazing um, uh, to think about it that way. So I, I would say that in school, 
one of the big challenges, I mean, I mentioned that Ziv and I are, are self-taught and we're both, we both had the same problem in school. We're bright students, but we didn't have the patience to sit through class, right? I mean, I was in AP chemistry and AP biology and uh, I, I would just, um, trying to, I, I wouldn't even attend class most of the time, to be completely honest with you. We would just cut school, but I would study for the test because it was interesting to me and I would ace the test. And so the complaint from, from teachers to my parents was constantly like, you know, other people in the class spit blood to get this, the scores that Ben is getting in class. Imagine what would happen if he actually attends class. But I, I just, I didn't have the stomach for it. Um, and another thing I would say is that it might sound silly, but, um, you know, one of the things that um, I mentioned were curious and trying to figure out how things work. And there was this video game back then that I was playing. And I have to tell you, I was playing this game probably every five years I would pay, play this game. Maybe I even, I think the last time I played it was maybe even three or four years ago at a long flight that I had. This game is called Pizza Tycoon, and it's a business simulator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I played a lot of different tycoons and business simulators, but this one just, for some reason, you know, at a very early age, to look at P&Ls for your pizza shop, mm-hmm. right? And know how to, you know, hire people, treat your employees, run advertisement, you know, fight your competition, write different trends. It was such a robust game. And not only that, it taught me a lot of English, right? Because I was, you know, born and raised in Israel. It was, it was just, uh, I think it was, it, I think it was a part of, of who I am as, as, as a business person today in, in, in a small part. No, I think, I think it's phenomenal. I think we're kindred spirits in, in that light. Cause I mean, for me, like going into high school, I was never there to be honest with you, like going right, yeah. to a year. It's like you miss half the year and to your point, you know, exams were pretty easy and that's the reason why I graduated. So uh, I think in society, society today, I mean, there's such a, a context to go to school, go to school, learn, 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 learn. But in reality, like what is your passion? And for you, you found that passion in being more of a chemist and being a foodie, right? You brought foodie and chemist together and you created this entire hemisphere, this empire based upon those two principles. So my next question to you is, if you can, can define yourself just using three to five words, what would those three to five words be? Urias, I mentioned it a couple of times. Um, I'll tell you, I'm a change agent. It's all about growth and change. Uh, you have to embrace change. I would say I'm very methodical. You have to create systems. You have to create methods, uh, and you have to teach this methodology to employees and executives. And I say the last word: um, resolute. Hmm. Right, just relentless in in face of challenges. Because at the end of the day, if you're not winning, you're learning, and hmm. that's something that just kept kept us going through the hard times. I mean, I like the fact that every time I ask you a question, you always refer to we, you refer to your partner. So I want to talk about that. To, like, again, you guys have been together since element, like what, middle school, what did you say? Middle school, yeah. yeah so school. like that's, that's, you know, obviously I have some friends that I've been friends with since elementary school and, and middle school and so forth, but I have not ran businesses with them. So right. you know this person probably better than their significant others, 
pretty much better than probably their parents at this point. Like, so there's just negatives and positives to that. Like, I mean, obviously you're running a business and he may make a mistake, you may make a mistake. And then it's whether you're the friend or you're the business person. So how have you guys kind of orchestrate and juggled and managed to get to where you are considering that you're so close of friends? You know, they say don't mix friendship with money, et cetera. But I, for us, it really worked out. I don't know. We're um, extremely close friends. We know each other very, very well. We're roommates for about five years here uh, in the States. And um, it just works out. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm talking to other founders and other executives, and it's really hard for me to imagine doing this journey without peer, without an equal, that you can bounce ideas off each other. I mean, we're both good at, I mean, we're yin to each other's yang, right? We're good at different things. But sometimes you need someone on your level to bounce ideas off each other just to make sure you're not crazy, right? And and, and so that was, I think, a, a tremendous uh, advantage for both of us. Um, you know, it, some people are kind of reluctant having two leaders for a business, but it's really been working uh, very well for us. So I, I, I think it's been honestly a competitive advantage. Uh, and I, I can't, I can't imagine doing this, this journey without, without Z. So let's just flip it on. Cause I mean, obviously we, we've been in the clouds, we've been riding sky high this entire podcast, right? I mean, again, <laughs> you're a phenomenal guest. But I want to talk about like the dark side of it. I mean, obviously, you're, you're talking about pharmaceuticals to a certain extent. You're talking about chemicals. You're talking about food. You're talking about changing people's bodies to look in their feel. With that comes a little bit of there may be someone that rejects what you're giving to them. They may not like it. They may not perceive it to be effective as it's stated to be effective. So how have you guys dealt with like the negative? And again, it can be a small percentage, but how have you guys dealt with that and overcame that? You know, we're very lucky that the overwhelming majority of the people we sell supplements to are very big fans. And that's really due to our unwavering uh, dedication to quality. Mm. We're not going to sell anything that's not third-party tested for heavy metals, for contaminants, uh, for you know, making sure it has exactly what we put on the label. Mm. Um, and you know, we, we try to use mostly clinically studied ingredients in their clinically studied dosage in, in most of our products. Um, so really, I mean, we have this thing called Testimonial Wednesday where we share, you know, testimonials with the rest of the company. And some of them are, are just, you know, incredible. Uh -huh. People tell us how they can, you know, uh, use their joints again and have walks with their, uh, spend time with their grandchildren because they can walk again and get up on the couch. And people with digestive issues say, okay, I don't need to be in a, uh, you know, two minute distance to a toilet uh, every, every minute of, of, of my life uh, and, and other really incredible stories. But, you know, there is a dark side. The dark side, I would say, is less the, the consumer side but more the competition, right? Because the, there's a lot of companies out there that have seen what we've done and try to replicate it, but without the science and the quality part, right? So they just took the acquisition funnels and the content and the advertising, but without the science. Mm -hmm. And they, they try to do what we did. In fact, there's, there's, a, there's a story about when we started, 
I think we were five people at the time and we're looking for a space because we started this from my second, my, my bedroom, actually. Yeah, we started this from my bedroom. I was, I think, my second apartment here. Um, and we, Ziva and I just shared this one desk with our two laptops. And then we, we had to hire a couple of people to answer the phones and all that and, and, and help us with, with uh, some web development. And so we looked for an office space, but we still didn't have enough cash to, to get our own office. So we rented a room at another office and that company that owned that office also sold supplements, but they sold it on television. It was like DRTV. So, you know, we, we shared that office with them and we're in our little room doing our thing, shared our, our Wi-Fi with, with that company. And a month in, the owner comes in and says, okay, guys, sorry, I got to kick you out. I need to use the room. Okay. Mm-hmm. We moved out. And I remember we found an office. And as I opened the laptop in my new office and I, I, I started getting my bearings, I realized that those guys copied us completely. They spied on our Wi-Fi and they copied all of our acquisition funnels, all of our ads, our formulas even. And uh, they've been doing this for several years since. But at the end of the day, there's a lot more of the secret sauce than what meets the eye. Mm-hmm. So you can try to copy what you see, but you're not going to get the magic. Mm-hmm. And so they've been failing and failing and failing and trying to desperately copy the stuff that we've been doing. And it just uh, it just didn't work. But, you know, it, it got us really upset in the beginning. But, you know, they say imitation is the, the highest form of flattery. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the end of the day, it made us it made us feel good that we're out there. Uh, and we have something special that's not replicable. Mm, mm. So let, let's talk about, I mean, I think we've been talking facetiously about it, but we haven't really like pinned down the duration of time. So like, again, how long have you guys been in this business unit from start until now? It has been nine years, I believe. We started in January of 2014. And uh, we started, we just maxed out our credit cards. And uh, we turned a profit on the third day. And that, that was a big day. Um, that, was a, that was a really big day for us. Um, yeah. So my, my business mind is turned on, right? So nine years, profitable after three days, 5 million like avatars that are purchasing right now, about $100 per acquisition. You've had to have offers at this point in time. Like somebody has to come probably knocking on your door with a, with a blank check at this point in time. And just by talking to you, I could tell that you turned them down. So I want you to kind of <laughs> talk about, well, and I, you correct me if I'm wrong, but just my business. No, you're right. You're right. Completely shut them down. So I want to talk about like why, because I, I would say that the checks would have been pretty nice considering why did you turn it down, considering that you could have took that money and started all over again with something totally different? Look, we're just not ready yet. I mean, um, Ziv and I are not the self-promoter type. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really put our head down and worked really hard in the business. And uh, at some point, we started getting advisors. Um, and those advisors were like, who are you guys? Like, how did you... 
how did you get to these numbers bootstrapped? And we've never even heard of you. And and then we realized there's value in sharing our story, right? There's value in sharing our story with other founders, other executives, and even you know possible investors. Um, and and so that's what we started doing. Honestly, pretty recently. Yeah. Uh, and the market is kind of crazy right now, but we did have interesting conversations with you know private equities, with VCs, with family offices, even with strategics. Um, we actually did get a couple of offers that monetarily were really nice, um, but it just didn't feel right. Look, we've been running this business without any corporate overlords for nine years, and this is our baby. We own 100% of it. And so for us to give a big chunk to someone or to partner with someone, we really need to feel comfortable. We need to feel that our values align, that our visions align, uh, and we're, we just haven't found that partner yet. So based upon that statement and, and just the way growth strategy is designed, are you guys then possibly looking at acquisitions? I mean, obviously, like you're at that, that bubble to where that expansion could literally happen in the next you know, 18 months. And I'm sure you guys have off-bar conversations about it. So are you guys in that space to thinking about maybe buying other brands? Uh, we were thinking about that. We're, we, um, in the past, did a lot of uh, buy versus build analysis right um because the the way we're built as a company we do things very very quickly mm -hmm. like i mentioned the a b testing and the always be optimizing then when we build new brands and new product lines it's also pretty quick so for us to buy an existing uh product line it, it has to come with something that takes time and a lot of time and effort to build mm -hmm. uh, and so you know, we looked at a few. We haven't found uh, we haven't found the one that we're interested in. There were talks with some investors that said, "Hey, you know, you built this machine, you built this moat. Let me feed it with some cash, so you can buy more brands and 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 include them in your ecosystem and start growing them." Uh, it, it again, it, it we didn't find the right partner for that, but that's still an option that can happen, right? I mean. A couple of years ago, there was this craze on ag aggregators, right? Um, and we, you know, Ziva and I were looking at it and we're like, man, this cannot end well hmm. because they were just buying indiscriminately. They're just buying a ton of brands. They had no connection between the brands. There's no theme around them. And when there's no theme around them, then you can't really optimize it properly. And so we stayed focused on wellness and beauty and we kept building our product lines, building our, uh, you know, growing our lifetime value, growing our EBITDA, working on that. And, you know, we're still having very interesting conversations with investors, but we're getting more out there. We're sharing our story more. And, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to explore different opportunities. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, it, it, look, it, 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 at some point, there probably will be some sort of partnership or acquisition that in the way we look at it is not the end of the story, but just another inflection point. Mm. Just an, another point for us to kind of uh, pull more uh, fuel to the fire. 
I think I think it's phenomenal. I mean, obviously, like you said, like you guys migrated to to LA. You created this nine years ago, essentially from scratch. You build it up. So I want to kind of flip it and, and and change the topic a little bit. And I want to talk about more so like your personal life. And I, I see and again, I, I'm reaching because I did my due diligence, but I couldn't find anything. But I am paying attention to the details on this video, right? So okay. we have a ring on. So that that's assuming that 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 you're married. So I yes, want to kind of talk about like obviously you got a lot going on. You're building a damn empire. How does that affect like your day-to-day family life? So look, I, I um, we spoke earlier about the, the very strict boundary of mm-hmm. work-life balance. And so, you know, we made sure after uh, the first couple of years to really have our own personal lives. And so both of us, you know, Ziva and I are, are, are married. Um, I, I met my wife actually in, in the first few months of COVID. Uh, mm. In June 2020, there was a little lull where they opened restaurants back up here in Los Angeles. So I met her online and we got a couple of dates in and then we had to quarantine together. And that was basically it. Three months later, we moved to our own place. Mm. A year later, I proposed. And a year later, we, we were married. So I'm married for a little over a year. and extremely extremely happy she's she's my life she's everything and and uh yeah I'm just uh, just very happy so i mean i think that's definitely phenomenal and i think you brought up another key word kind of talking about your personal aspect of things right restaurants and food I would think that you're a pretty big foodie. And that's, the, it, it, you know, part, part of the streaming of, usually I don't stream in my food group, but I was like, today I'm definitely going to attach this stream to my food group on Facebook just because I know deep down inside you're a huge foodie. So I yeah. want to talk about like, you know, what does your breakfast look like? What kind of, like, obviously you wake up in the morning, you probably have a routine, yeah. but if you do get into breakfast, like what is your favorite breakfast to have? So I have to tell you a little bit about my wife. Uh, it's no accident that we met and, and fell in love with each other madly. I mean, she has a ton of experience uh, with food. She mm. has a master's in food advocacy from NYU. Uh, and she she used to design uh, menus uh, for, you know, Michelin-rated restaurants in New York. She was in the fine dining industry for a long time. So, I mean, she's incredible. And we're just food nerds. So we love exploring uh, food and I mean we love traveling to Japan. We're obsessed with Japan restaurants in Japan. Uh, we go to a ton of restaurants here in LA and New York, um, and we love to cook. Uh, so, you know, my my wife makes me breakfast uh, every morning, and every time she surprises me something different. Most of the time is something super healthy but super delicious, like uh, sprouted grain toast with. Um, some cut vegetables and olive oil, um, you know, scrambled egg with some Parmesan cheese. Uh, she makes me these amazing smoothies that are kind of low in sugar, high in fiber with a ton of seeds in them. Uh, she makes me this like matcha latte with, you know, fresh almond milk that we make here in the house. Damn. You know, that kind of stuff. And the crazy thing is, is like, again, like reaching into there. And I was just assuming. And I opened up Pandora's box. I mean, it has to, you had to be a foodie. This had to be a given. And the <laughs> fact that you married a foodie, it just makes things <laughs> absolutely crazy. So I have a trip coming up in Japan later on this year. So offline, we definitely got to get some of those restaurants that you were talking about. 
Because I, I would yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, we're also we're also working on a cookbook. Uh, it's it's mm. kind of a, it's kind of a family cookbook right right now. But um, yeah, this is a project. This is a passion project for my wife and I, and and we enjoy it. We come up with different recipes. She just she just understands flavor like nobody else does. Like she would she would taste something from a restaurant and deconstruct it and know exactly what the ingredients there. And when we cook, it's funny because I, I'm probably more of a skilled cook than her because I spend more time in the actual kitchen, but she understands flavors way better than me. Mm. So she would know exactly what to do. So the combination of both of us in the kitchen is amazing. Mm. And the way we come up with different recipes, you know, I may come up with a concept and then she would she would know how to execute and, and elevate it or or vice versa. So um yeah, just just a fun little tidbit about us. Well, I think you, you kind of just fell into like like a like a keyword trap about using the keyword of book, right? So you're talking about creating a, a cookbook, and I could totally see like a cookbook to where there's two versions, right? There's a cookbook you talk about food, but there's a cookbook to where you're talking about building a business. And again, to you, I think that you look at businesses like you said, with flavors and ingredients. And if you put the right flavors and the right ingredients together, that dish should be phenomenal or that business should be successful. So my next question is like, what books have you read in the past 10 years that kind of help inspire you to become who you are? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I think on the business side, we, again, I say we is because I, I feel like this journey really happened uh, hand to hand with, with Ziv, but we read a lot of business books at some point, we realized um, we should start reading summaries of these business books, right? So I'm using this app called Headway. That re- it's wonderful. It summarizes books. Uh, I read books in like 15 minutes. You get to save the different insights, and then you can revisit those insights later. Um, wonderful app. But I think the the best book that we keep uh, referencing to, and, and again, that not the summary, but the full book is Scaling Up by mm. Vern Harnish. Um, I think it's a wonderful book because it's an incredibly practical book, right? It has a lot of practical advice in different stages of growth, right? So they, they claim on the book, you know, it's, it's uh, for companies growing from a million to a hundred million. We're, we're way past that, but there's still a lot of very uh, practical things about you know, anything from like how to run a meeting, mm-hmm. how to build strategy, growth strategy and projection, right? Uh, and they have different templates that you can use and 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 uh, different schemas. Very, very interesting book. Highly recommend Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. Hmm. So going back into the cookbook and then the concept I just threw out there, obviously you have more of the credibility to write a business book than most have you thought about executing and publishing your book? You know, as I mentioned, we're really the type of people that just put our heads down and work. I I didn't really uh, explore that option yet because we're just so into continue building our business. Mm -hmm. Uh, But man, I, you know, once in a while I have glimpses of, Hey, what, what, what would I do after scale? And I mean, Writing a cookbook is one thing that would be fun. Writing a business book could be another option. Creating another business simulation video game, that's also an option that I've been playing around with because Pizza Tycoon is a very, very old game. 
Um, but it helped me tremendously. And it really kind of got me into wanting to run businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I can help other other children with 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 that goal. So I've been toying around with uh, you know my brother-in-law, uh, who's also into video games, and I introduced him to Pizza Tycoon, and we've been toying around with that idea of creating another kind of business simulation game that's more modern. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but food related though, right? It, it could be food related. I mean, look, the the. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it should be it should be food related yeah absolutely okay so i mean that that's a solid segue for that's a a, a projection right so ideally yeah. i'm going to stretch that projection out over time sure. where do you see your business or where do you want to see your business 20 years from now wow i mean 20 years is a long time um but I would say that really I want to continue and expand and scale up our mission, which is to help people live better lives through science-backed nutrition and wellness. And and really that is the mission. I mean, there's still a lot of market penetration for us to do. There's still a lot of education uh, for consumers. I mean, the, the new generation, millennials and Zoomers are a little bit more educated when it comes to wellness, but there's still a ton of misinformation out there. And there's still a lot of buzzwords and trends. And, you know, we, we look into trends, but we don't buy into trends without a ton of science behind it. That's, you know, for example, why we didn't go into CBD yet, right? Like CBD is awesome. And I use it sometimes, but I need that solid science really to commit uh, and start selling a product and start educating the the consumers about it. So we're trying to be very intellectually honest about it um, and and really go into areas that we really believe in. And that's really the goal is to to scale that up to as many people as we can. Okay. So so with that, let's say your avid avatar is listening right now. And let's say that avatar is their kid is in there, right? So think about this kid as being you. Let's say as a Middle Eastern kid, He's big into video games. He's big into food. And his parents are listening to this podcast. What words of wisdom do you want both the parents and the kids to hear to help both of them progress to move forward to levels of success that they're looking forward to? I would just say stay curious, know how to roll with the punches, and be humble enough to be a forever student. Mm. It's, I mean, you can, you never really stop learning and, and, and studying. And, and so I think that um, if, if you don't have the attitude of like, hey, I, I know better, or I already know this, and I got this, no, be open to listen to others, learn from other uh, people's experiences, uh, and, and just stay curious and humble. I think that that's a phenomenal insight. I mean, as far as being a forever student, it's one of those things that no matter what happens in life, there's always going to be something new for someone to learn. Prime example right now, like the dawn of AI and everyone is kind of like either scared of it or they're embracing it, right? So, and the people that are embracing it, they're getting ready for whatever the next generation of it is because AI is just the dawn of whatever else is to come, right? So- Gotta embrace it. Gotta embrace it. Definitely embrace it. So with with that embrace, right? So how does someone get in contact with you? What what website do you want to send them to? Your LinkedIn profile? Let's talk about contacting you here. I would love people to find me on LinkedIn. Um, 
I, I'm st starting to work on my content there. Um, I think I have a, a lot to say, a lot to share. I would love to connect with like-minded individuals. So please find me on LinkedIn, Ben Floor. Um, and yeah, let's connect. Great, great. So I got a bonus question for you, right? And, and since, you know, again, I'm trying to figure it out, but again, I, I can't even guess what it was going to be. And it's unfortunate because usually I have a little edge and I can kind of figure it out. But if you could spend 24 hours with anyone, right? And this person could be someone from your past that may be dead or someone that's alive today and somebody that you may have never even met, but you had the opportunity to spend 24 hours with them uninterrupted, who would it be and why? Okay, so I, I would, that answer may surprise you, but um, there is an author, historian, futurist, thought leader, incredibly interesting individual that I'm just, I love to hear him speak in podcasts and interviews. His name is Yuval Noah Harari, he's, he's hmm. Israeli, but he wrote a, a, a best-selling book called Sapiens. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's basically the history of humankind. He wrote a, a few other books, but that's the, the biggest one. And what I love about him is that, um, you know, he's a scientist. He's a super knowledgeable guy, but he's also super in, into mindfulness. So mm. he does once a year, he does a Vipassana retreat, which is basically 10 days of complete silence. And he talks about how that helps him organize his thoughts which, you know, you can imagine how important that is if you, you know, approach a huge topic like, you know, the history of humankind, right? So to me, this person, the way he speaks about the past, our history as humans, about what drives us as humans from a biology standpoint and a cultural standpoint, and how that would and could affect the future is incredible. I mean, you hear him talk about AI or even about COVID, uh, and, and, and geopolitics, it's just, it's just incredible. So I, I can listen to this guy all day. I would love to spend 24 hours with him. Yeah, I mean, just by the way you're describing them, it's kind of like, it, it, I want to meet him myself. It's, you should, you should. Yeah. You get on the podcast, you should. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I think this was a phenomenal episode. I think you delivered, uh, like, so much value, and it was definitely entertaining, but more so it was providing insight that allows people to be more hungry for information and go out and get that information and take action on information. That's what really I, I, I've absorbed from you today. And I definitely appreciate that. Um, so going into closing, I'd like to give whoever I'm interviewing an opportunity to then run my podcast, to become the host of my show. And I become your guest. So Boston Cage is officially yours. You're the Boston Cage host. And I'm now your guest. Do you have any questions for me? Well, essay first, Thank you for this. This was a really, really great interview. Um, uh, I appreciate all the, the thoughtful questions, uh, and, and I hope I could provide value to you and the listeners. Um, what I would ask you is, you know, I, honestly, you have done such a tremendous job in promoting your own brand and really getting out there and creating these incredible relationships and, and sharing your story. And so what would be your advice for someone like me who's just starting on that journey? I mean, just just from from this one interaction with you and I, I think that you have so much to give, and it's so it's not just single faceted. It's so many multiple aspects to you, from being a foodie to being into technology, being a traveler, you know, being grounded, and at the same time, definitely understanding the quality and benefits of partnerships. I think for you, it's just to get in front of a camera, and like you said, it's just kind of just 
give that information. Just use the, the medium of video or audio just to recite your thoughts and to give people an insight to who you are because your inspiration to entrepreneurs, you may not see it that way, but people are looking to you like, like he did this in nine years. If he can do it, then why can't I, right? He has a partner. I can have a partner. Why can't I? So it's always a question about why can't I? And by you talking and telling people your story, it makes it easier for them to then jump over that broomstick and remove the fear and move forward. Man, I, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. This is a great advice. Pleasure was mine, man. But I, I definitely, I, I think I, this is also one, another question. How can I get yeah. these shoes in the back, man? These shoes are amazing. Um, they're on our storefront. So it's store.bossandcage.com. And I, like literally when I created the notebook, like these notebooks right here. Uh -huh. So those notebooks are 32 notebooks. So I created 32 variables of sneakers, one shoe, <laughs> each notebook. Amazing. That's so awesome. yeah, the, the, I think maybe like, a uh, quarter of them up there, not all 32 up there right now, but you know, eventually they all will be. That's great. I'll check it out. Yeah, cool. Well, I, I definitely appreciate it, man. I, I don't want to suck up too much more time of, of your day, but I think that this episode was a definitely insightful episode. I think you dropped so many golden nuggets and, you know, to, to kind of bust the bubble, you know, earlier on, you said this was like your first podcast. It seemed like you've been doing podcasts forever. This is like 1,000. <laughs> like, so I definitely appreciate being your first podcast, but I, I'm sure in the future, you're going to do thousands to come. So I look forward to, to watching those and I look forward to see you grow and prosper. SA, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you. The pleasure was mine. That's like right. over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.